Schomburg. And I'm Lisa DeSimone. And this is Taxes for the Masses. Today's episode is on public companies that pay no income tax, or at least appear not to. Interest in corporate taxes has grown substantially in the last decade, with more politicians and citizens wanting to know who the biggest avoiders are. Yet due to the confidentiality of tax returns in the U.S., interested parties often have to obtain tax information from public financial statements. In this episode, we discuss how profitable firms can legally pay little or no tax, and we dig into the financial statements of two companies that came under fire this earnings season for reporting low tax rates. Hello, Lisa. Hello, B. So I am a kid in a candy store today because this episode is like the chewy caramel crunchy center of a Twix. Okie dokie. I must have left my decoder ring at home today. So um, decode that cryptic message for me. All right. So a Twix. Best candy ever. In the world. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. Hands down. Combines multiple terrific things and brings them together with great depth and harmony. I like it. Go on. Today's episode is going to do the same thing. I hope. Yes. By combining multiple stimulating, fascinating topics. Bring it. Taxes. Yeah. Income shifting. Keep going. Financial accounting. Woo. Politics. Hell yeah. The media. You betcha. But no chocolate. Hmm. I left out the chocolate because it gives you migraines. Oh, I appreciate that. And I hope this episode doesn't give our listeners migraines. Um, In fairness, <laughs> reading some of the discussion around corporate taxes gives me migraines. Yep. That makes two of us. All right. Um, so we're going to talk at a high level today about two big topics, each of which we could devote multiple episodes to. Yes, but you won't let me. I won't. First, how profitable corporations can pay little or no U.S. income tax. And second, what you can learn about a corporation's tax avoidance activities from its financial statements alone. All right, Lisa, get us started. How is it? Profitable corporations, Mm. corporations that are reporting big, fat, juicy profits to their shareholders in the current year are not paying tax to Uncle Sam. Um, So yeah, how much time you got? Uh, 22 minutes, 20 (laughs) minutes. Okay. Um, so let's, let's, let's bound this question a little bit. Let's okay. put a little structure around it. I like it. I like structure. A corporation's tax liability is computed as their tax base, which is taxable income, less deductions times the tax rate, less any credits. Roger that. So keeping things at a high level, anything a company does that decreases its tax base or rate or increases the credits it can claim, all of that will reduce its tax liability. Okay. Logical. Yes. So trick is companies can do those things in lots of different ways. Yes. First, they can do them through unquestionably legal means, Mm -hmm. like deducting their asset purchases to reduce their tax base. Yes. They can also push the envelope and exploit we'll call gray areas. Maybe, maybe you helped companies do this in in your former life. In a past life. By shifting income out of the U.S. to lower tax jurisdictions. We never shifted income. We did tax compliance and planning tax-efficient supply chain management. Yes. Or you can just flat out evade tax or do what we like to call committing tax fraud. Which we've never done because it's illegal. Exactly. And fortunately, the general consensus is that corporate tax evasion or fraud is uncommon in the United States among the large publicly traded companies that are the focus of our episode today. That's a relief. It is. And so one big fat takeaway for our listeners is that a public company 
making little or no tax payments to the U.S. is probably not breaking the law. Probably not. We can argue about whether they're behaving morally or ethically or paying their, everybody now, fair fair share, share. but they are probably not doing anything that is explicitly illegal. Okay. So everything you just said is perfectly true and technically correct, um, but it was very abstract. Fair enough. So what do we know about how they actually do avoid tax? So that is an important question, but it turns out that it is pretty difficult to answer, Mm -hmm. largely because most of us tax researchers don't have access to corporate tax returns. No, people like you and me must get information about corporate taxes from the financial statements. Mm -hmm. And that is no easy task. No, Financial statements follow U.S. GAAP, generally accepted accounting principles, as promulgated by the Financial Accounting Standards Board, or FASB. Within the financial statements, most information about taxes comes from the tax footnote. For example, companies disclose significant items where that GAAP or book treatment differs from the Internal Revenue Code or tax treatment. So that's what we did. We analyzed these footnotes in 2019 for 280 companies that had over $1 billion of pre-tax income in order to better understand how these companies are reducing their tax liabilities. Um, So two disclaimers here. First, these data are only as good as the company's description of an item. So in some places, we had to make assumptions. Second, these data relate to tax accruals or estimated expenses, again, according to generally accepted accounting principles, which is to say that they are not actual tax payments. Nope. Bottom line is they are not going to capture all of the things that companies can do to reduce their tax liabilities. It's only a subset. But it's better than nothing. Much like me as a podcast co-host. <laughs> the largest category of tax benefits these companies disclose relates to foreign activities, such as reporting income in countries with tax rates lower than the U.S.'s rate. On average, these foreign tax benefits are 5.3% of pre-tax income, or again, on average, about $256 million of tax benefit. Another big thing is credits for activities like research and development, certain hiring practices, or investing in affordable housing. Mm. These are actually the most common with 155 companies disclosing, but these credits are smaller in magnitude than those foreign operations that you just talked about. Credits are only about two and a half percent of pre-tax income or 138 million of tax benefits for the average company that we analyzed. Tax benefits for stock-based compensation, which we've talked about before, 126 companies reported an average tax benefit equal to 1.8% of pre-tax income. Tax-exempt investment income, like interest on municipal bonds, which is not taxed by the federal government, was reported by 86 companies for an average tax benefit of 1.3% of pre-tax income. All right. So we've got tax benefits from foreign ops as the biggest, Yep. tax benefits from credits as the most common. Mm-hmm. And then we've got some pretty big tax benefits for stock-based compensation, which tend to be big when the company's share price is increasing over time. Right. And then some stuff related to tax exempt investment income. Does any of that surprise you? So I'm not at all surprised that foreign operations is the biggest category of tax benefit. What does surprise me a little bit is that other thing that we've read about a lot lately, stock-based compensation only offers tax benefits on average a little bit higher than tax exempt income. Mm -hmm. That surprised me a little bit too. Um, Because like we said, all else equal rising stock prices should lead to larger stock comp deductions. Right. 
But to be fair, these data that we have, like I warned, only capture the tax benefit from stock compensation that exceeds whatever compensation expense they already recorded for purposes. That's a great point. So we're literally only seeing the tip of the iceberg. Love it. Also, these tax benefits should actually start to decline even more as executive compensation becomes more non-deductible after the passage of the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. Not because what goes up must come down. Uh, no. (laughs) Okay. Now I need a decoder ring. Yet. look at two companies that took a decent amount of flack this earnings season for reporting low tax rates, Tesla and Netflix. Tesla reported over $6 billion of pre-tax income, yet accrued only $700 million of tax for a gap effective tax rate, which is just tax expense divided by pre-tax income, again, all recorded under book or financial accounting rules of 11%. They reported 561 million of cash tax payments net of refunds for a cash effective tax rate of just under 9%. But the tax rate in the US is 21%. So B, what the F is going on here? Excellent question. All right. So at 21%, which you are 100% right, is the corporate rate in the US as of 2018. I'm glad I got that right. A naive expectation is that Tesla would accrue about $1.3 billion of tax on their $6 billion of income. Yes. The first place I looked to figure out why their tax accrual was lower than that is this effective tax rate reconciliation, where companies explain why their effective tax rate differs from that US statutory tax rate of 21%. Back to the tax footnotes. It's where the magic happens. So Tesla disclosed $7 billion in excess tax benefits from stock-based compensation. Mm. Not surprising given how many stock options Elon Musk exercised during the year. Yep. That item alone would have completely wiped out any U.S. tax liability that Tesla would have had on $6 billion of income and then some. All right. So if we were to fact check media articles claiming that Tesla paid no U.S. tax on $6 billion of book profits mm-hmm. in 2021, yeah. what say you? Sounds like a pretty safe assumption. So we we don't know that for sure. We can't see for sure from Tesla's financial statements to which jurisdictions they paid income tax during the year. But it sure seems like a reasonable conclusion to draw that they didn't pay any tax to the U.S. government. I agree with that. All right. So the next thing I noticed from Tesla's footnote is in which country Tesla reports its income. The company discloses that all, all of its $6.3 billion of profit was earned outside of the U.S. Mm. But in another footnote, Tesla discloses that about 44% of its revenue was from U.S. sales. Mm. So riddle me this, Batman. How does a company have $24 billion of U.S. sales and no U.S. profit? Uh, Well, Wonder Woman. I appreciate that. As you search for your invisible ship and your lasso of truth. Tesla has really touted how American made their cars are. Um, So if they're making a bunch of their cars in America, I would expect a bunch of their expenses to be here in America. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that could be one reason for low profits here in the U.S. But we also can't rule out some international tax planning on their part to report profits in low tax jurisdictions. True. All right. So 
enough with Tesla. Now it's time to Netflix and chill, which is what I call reading income tax footnotes. Interesting. In my house, it's tax forms and a glass of wine, but go on. All right. Netflix, 5.8 billion of pre-tax income, tax expense of just over 700 million, both numbers again reported on the financial statements, which means they had a gap effective tax rate of 12%. Okay. Cash taxes paid of about 500 million for a cash effective tax rate of 8.7%. Is it just me or are those numbers pretty similar to Tesla's? They are. Weird. And the similarities don't stop there. No. The single biggest benefit Netflix discloses relates to (gasps) excess tax benefits of stock-based compensation, this time to the tune of about $300 million. Okay. Large, but not large enough to wipe out their expected U.S. tax liability as they did for Tesla. Yeah, not as big as Tesla. No. The next largest benefit is $255 million for, quote, the tax effects of the TCJA, end quote, which, if I may, is infuriating. Um, It is. And this is what we were talking about, the discretion. The data are only as good as uh, how well the companies describe them. And that's a little vague. Um, Just a little. So- my best guess is that it relates to a new deduction, which is uh, created by the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act for foreign-derived intangible income. Um, this makes sense because Netflix basically gets all of its money mm. from intangible assets, mm-hmm. which means that anytime that a customer in a foreign country downloads one of their movies, pays a subscription fee, as long as that IP is housed in the U.S., they now get a tax benefit for that. Makes sense. But Netflix could be a little more forthcoming about such a material amount and what it relates to. Agreed. But uh, despite the lack of forthcomingness, which I'm I'm thinking is a word. Yeah. This is all sounding like really legitimate. Yeah. No red flags yet that I see. Right. So stock options, foreign derived and tangible income are the two biggies. Yeah. We also see some smaller benefits for um, research and development tax credits and foreign income earned at lower rates. But again, all of this seems pretty legit to me. And to me as well. But I'm confused because Senator Sanders tweeted that Netflix was a poster child for corporate greed because they paid an effective rate of only 1.1% on their $5.1 billion of profit. I don't even understand where those numbers are coming from. Do you? No, but one thing I do understand is that whenever we've talked about politicians tweeting tax things on this show, Mm. um, yeah. So, okay, let's start with the easy number. Okay. The 5.1 billion that Senator Sanders references is actually Netflix's after-tax net income. Whoops. Um, that's not the right number to use. He no, wants to not. be focusing on the 5.8 billion of pre-tax profit. Right. And what about that 1.1% cash effective tax rate? You started by saying Netflix's cash rate was closer to 9%. Liar. 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 Get back, witch. I'm not a witch. I'm your wife. True. Humpadink. <laughs> humpadink. Humpadink, humpadink, humpadink. Anyway, somewhere, somewhere along the way, without consulting you or me, shocking, some people who have never had me for a tax professor, I promise you. That was their first mistake. That was, yes. They decided that current federal tax expense, which is a number that is disclosed in the tax footnote, is the same thing as cash taxes paid to the U.S. government. Mm-hmm. Spoiler alert. It's not. Nope. So to get the 1.1% rate, Senator Sanders or whoever on his staff came up with this brilliant calculation divided Netflix's current federal tax expense of about 51 million by their 5.1 billion of 
after-tax profit, and voila, got the meaningless number of 1.1%. So the better approach, especially for a company that reports most of its profits in the US, as does Netflix, is to simply take cash taxes paid off of the cash flow statement and divide it by pre-tax income. And if you do that, you get 8.7%. Voila. Still much lower than the 21% statutory rate in the US. Yes. But again, there are seemingly very legitimate or at least explainable reasons for that in the case of both Netflix and Tesla. So do we think Senator Sanders writes his own tweets? No. Do you think he reads his own tweets? for the good, the bad, and the ugly. And I am happy to start today because there is absolutely nothing bad or (laughs) ugly about accounting for income taxes. It is perfectly perfect in every way. Right then. Uh Uh-huh. Yep. Okay. So um, I guess I'll be doing the heavy lifting on on this one. Um, I'll I'll throw you a bone here. I do think it's good that non-tax nerds want to understand more about corporate taxes. Having more informed citizens when it comes to corporations' tax practices and policies could be a really good thing in terms of policy development and activism and general interest. And these are all good things. I agree that they could be good things. Here she comes. Here I am. But the bad thing we actually deal with is that because these financial statement tax disclosures are incomplete and opaque, a lot of the times I think what we wind up with instead is a misinformed citizenry. And what's worse, misinformed policymakers. Yeah, it's not great when politicians like Senator Sanders call companies out as greedy when, at least from everything we can tell, you and me being the relative experts compared to Senator Sanders. I'll take it. Netflix isn't doing anything illegal. No. They're playing by the rules that, wait for it, Congress Congress. Congress laid out for them. It is perfectly legal to claim deductions for stock-based compensation and to claim credits for R&D activity. It's all just like Taylor Swift said. What? You know, Tay-Tay. No, I don't. Uh Uh-huh. Yep, go on. Some taxpayers gonna pay, 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 pay. And the haters gonna hate, 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 hate. Baby, I'm just gonna rat, 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 rat. I rat it off, rat it off. Oh, oh. (laughs) Oh, I don't even know. Um, And this is why I don't sing on the program. There's no recovering from that. Okay, breathing. Breathing. Um, So before that musical interlude, we were talking about uh, people being angry. I'm angry about what just happened. (laughs) By the way, Fabio, that was for you. (laughs) Please direct any complaints to him. (laughs) Fabio.garretner at (laughs) whisk.edu. That was fantastic. (laughs) That was fantastic. So bad. (laughs) Oh, okay. I understand that many Democrats like Senator Sanders were not pleased with the corporate tax breaks included in the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. No, they were not. And they might not be pleased with other corporate friendly provisions of the tax code, Mm -hmm. but they need to direct that aggression toward their current and former colleagues who actually wrote those laws and not necessarily at the taxpayers who just take advantage of them. Speak truth to power, system. (laughs) 
ladies and gentlemen, she hasn't even had anything to drink today. <laughs> I haven't had anything to drink in three days. Maybe that's the problem. Oh, yes. That said, you know how I love playing devil's advocate. So I'll go back to something you said earlier. Do not throw my own words <laughs> in my face. You love it when I do that. And I'm going to posit that large corporations like Netflix and Tesla maybe aren't 100% totally, completely playing by the spirit of the law. Instead, they engage sophisticated tax practitioners to push the boundaries of what is acceptable. And that is a fair point. And that paid your salary for several years. And yours. One <laughs> way you're looking at me. Never pushed an envelope in my life. All right. So let's go back to the footnotes. Companies must disclose tax benefits from potentially aggressive tax planning. Netflix discloses about 200 million of these tax benefits. That's pretty small. It's not even half a percent of their assets. Mm. For Tesla, the amount is 530 million, which is almost 1% of their assets. But either way, I'm not really concerned here. No, if we assume those amounts are reported correctly, they aren't too alarming. No. But you and I both know that companies have a lot of discretion over the amount of these tax benefits they disclose. We do know that. And that leads us right into the ugly. Bring it. Insufficient transparency around corporate income taxes. Yes. People are clearly interested in corporate taxes, which might actually make managers want to disclose less information. Mm -hmm. But I think the lack of clear communication we have now actually makes matters worse because it forces interested parties to scrape and scour and try to mm, creatively piece together what are only parts of a very complicated puzzle. I agree. Investors and public stakeholders have tried to demand more transparency and disclosure, particularly around earnings and cash taxes paid in specific jurisdictions, which clearly mystify politicians and the media. And the FASB has considered even mandating these types of disclosures, but they've abandoned proposals after companies claimed it would be too costly and could potentially lead to investor confusion, which frankly, I find to be reasonable arguments. So meanwhile, I'm over here thinking investors couldn't get any more confused based off of the current required disclosures. Mm. All right. So if FASB won't compel more tax disclosure in financial statements, mm -hmm. is our only hope that Congress might compel more tax return disclosure as we've seen in other countries? Um, I don't know how much hope I would hold out for that. It seems pretty doubtful to me. I have to imagine corporate lobbying against it would be fierce. As we know, there is a contention here, a constitutional right to privacy. Yes. And it's not like Congress is going to be more immune to corporate interest than the FASB. Correct. But again, playing devil's advocate here, I'm not convinced that even releasing this tax return information would help. Okay. Releasing more detailed information is likely only going to increase confusion. Like you said, they couldn't get more confused. I think they can. All right. Fine. And uh, my Twix is now ruined. I'm sorry. Well, that's all we have time for today. I'm Lisa DeSimone. And I'm Bridget Stomberg. Be sure to join us for more tax nerdery on future episodes of Taxes for the Masses. 